Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Welcome into episode 306 of the Sources Say podcast, your go to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR podcast network. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very excited to break down. I guess I shouldn't say excited because it was very upsetting finish I, I was I, I, there's so many highs and lows I was so excited and then so let down and so excited and so let down and I, I think the whole letdown it, it was a day of just ridiculousness in in my world because I was supposed to be down in college station for what was probably the most exciting college game of the season thus far especially in SEC play um, I had a flight at 5 30 I woke up at three o'clock in the morning to get to the Louisville airport I go through security, get through, and get to the gate. And the gate agent says, there is no flight crew yet. So we're going to have to wait. Nah, no big deal. Just five, ten extra minutes. No big deal. I, I My connection in Dallas is hour and a half-ish before I have to get to College Station. So totally fine. No, no big deal. So I'm sitting there waiting. And they say that we're ready, but the flight, uh, the, the, the plane um, was ice cold and they had to heat the plane up before we could get on another 10 ish minute delay. No, but you know, I'm, we're fine. We're, we're, we're cruising. It's going to be a good SEC game Saturday. No, no fret whatsoever. We get on the plane finally, and I'm sitting there for 30 minutes, 40 minutes. No, 
word from the captain, no word. It was just kind of silence, people talking and doing their own thing. It's early in the morning. People are nodding off. It, you know, just it kind of is what it is. And then the plane just shuts off completely, goes complete pitch black, dead silence. Nobody is saying a word. It, again, it's five, I guess, probably almost six o'clock in the morning at this point. And uh, the plane is just done, just shut off. They, they, the flight attendants are looking at each other going, yeah, uh, this isn't supposed to happen. So just understand my nerves and my, uh, you know, I've been on a thousand flights in my day, not that big of a deal. I, I'm, you know, flights don't necessarily scare me. I, that's, you know, I, I actually enjoy the flying experience. This was the first time I think that it kind of hit me of, yeah, I don't know if I'm supposed to be on this plane. I don't know if this is the, um, this is the one for me, especially getting down to college station. You know, I have to be there in the early afternoon for a basketball game. Just, I don't, I don't know if this is the one. So the people, the gate agent and flight attendants start coming around and saying, um, you know, yeah, we're going to be delayed quite a bit. We're trying to figure out what this is. A mechanic is on the way and five minutes turns to 20 minutes, turns to 40 minutes. I've missed my connection. Like, I mean, it's a done. I mean, and the game is at two o'clock. My I was supposed to land in College Station at like nine thirty ish in the morning, so the window was already tight as is. There was obviously no extra flight to College Station because apparently that's not a place people fly into. Go figure. So yeah, um, I ended up not being able to go down to College Station. I was ready. I my bag was packed. I was sitting on the plane. I was supposed to be down there for what ended up being a, an absolute classic. I would have loved to have been a part of it, uh, but unfortunately, American Airlines just the, the the plane shut off. The plane broke down. So um, I very happily got off that plane and took my happy butt right back home. And I watched the game on my couch like the rest of you guys. So uh, man. It was a, a an absolutely hectic Saturday morning, which turned into an absolutely hectic Saturday afternoon. We are waiting on Sean Smith. He's driving home right now from uh, his parents' house, so he should be coming in any second now. But we are going to be breaking down the 97-92 to 92 loss in overtime down in College Station. An absolute heartbreaker because this was one that it was there for the taking. So many different opportunities for Kentucky to pull that, you know, Obviously, the defense was what it was. Rebounding was what it was. But even all things considered, every chance imaginable was there for the taking for Kentucky, all the way down to the final shot in regulation where Rob Dillingham had a look to win the game with three seconds left on the clock. Um, then Reed Shepard gets fouled on the offensive rebound and um, goes to the free throw line, drills both of them, and you kind of feel like you have the momentum there. And, and there is an opportunity for the taking to uh, win it in overtime and, and kind of break some hearts down in, in College Station. Unfortunately, Kentucky doesn't score until the 42nd mark in overtime. Uh, just it, was, it became which team wanted it more, which team was more desperate. And unfortunately, Texas A&M was that, was that team. Uh, and, and I think we need to go back to – where the mindset was for both teams going in and how much each individual team needed it. Kentucky was the hot, one of the hottest teams in college basketball, um, really rolling, finding its stride. Um, you know, I'd kind of worked through some of the early kinks of the big, big issues. And, uh, you know, it had just kind of made a statement down in Gainesville where they did a, overcome some rebounding issues and kind of competed against their scouting report and what they did well. Uh, Missouri was a tough, hard-fought battle, but, you know, you kind of expect that. This was the one that uh, 
we kind of knew the scattering report going in. This was the best offensive rebounding team in college basketball. Um, and I think I just got a note that VJ Edgecombe just committed to Baylor, which is not uh, a surprise. So I'm glad he's not going to Duke. And we'll talk about that whenever Sean gets on uh, as well. But yeah, it, it just Texas A&M came in as a very real contender in the SEC. This was a team that people expected to be a legitimate you know they they could win the regular season title and they could go uh, down to Nashville and win the the tournament title. I mean, this was a team that a lot of people had high hopes for. Hard, tough nose, gritty SEC uh, preseason player of the year, and Wade Taylor, who although was shooting very very poorly entering that game, still did stuff that a lot of people in this conference can't do. He was due. He was shooting historically low numbers entering this matchup. They had lost their last two and five of their last eight. So things had been trending in the wrong direction for Texas A&M. And Kentucky had the early had the momentum going into that game. Texas A&M needed that. They were the desperate team. They had no choice but to win that game, or the wheels could have really, really fallen off in College Station. So I kind of had that mindset going in of prepare for ridiculousness. Prepare for Texas A&M, one of the, wor- the, the worst high major shooting team in college basketball, prepare for them to come in and make a dozen threes. Prepare for them to be the aggressor on the glass. Prepare for the kind of straight line drive, one-on-one defensive issues that Kentucky set. Those are going to present themselves. How can we counter those things? The way that they did a great job down in Gainesville against an equally talented team They were able to do it down in Gainesville, but unfortunately, I think the desperation factor just was not there on our end, but it was for Texas A&M, and they got their statement win. You know, Credit to them. They made tough shots. Kentucky made some things easy for them, but for a lot of it, several of the shots were just, you know, tough shots, tough makes, and you just got to have to tip your cap when you have Wade Taylor going for 31 points, Radford going for 28 in, in his own right with nine rebounds, four assists. I mean the game just kind of was what it was. And it, it sucks because you wanted Kentucky to kind of overcome those things and say, man, two back-to-back road tests where they kind of backs against the wall mentality, just overcame all of that and and figured it out. And uh, they were, they were close. Like I said, they, they were right there for the taking um, and just weren't able to make it happen. And it sucks. Credit Texas A&M, but it, you know, we'll talk about kind of what it means when Sean gets in. I believe he is um, very, very close. But uh, let, let's talk for a second about VJ Edgecombe because this was a uh, commitment that in the last 48 hours or so kind of became something that general consensus that it was going to be Baylor. And that's a, a good thing because um, I think Edgecombe going to Duke alongside the other guys that they had, Cooper Flagg and some of the other guys they were recruiting to come in, um, would have been tough to knock off that top spot. Kentucky is still going after uh, some guys to fill out this class. Obviously, Carter Knox is up there. They're going to continue to monitor the the reclass route, see if there's anybody that presents themselves that they really like. Um, obviously, Darren Peterson is the one everybody wants to know about, and, and if Kentucky has a chance, we'll see about that. Um, but other names to keep an eye on, and obviously the transfer portal is what it is, but uh, Kentucky couldn't really afford for VJ to go to Duke. They could afford him to go to Baylor. Um, Joe Tipton reported of on three that uh, Kentucky was out of the race going into the, the last stretch there where it was going to be down to Baylor and Duke. And it was, that was my understanding as well. 
where Kentucky did a very, very good job considering the circumstances. VJ had already cut his list down to 10, and you can't offer that kid two months after he had already list, cut his list down and expect, you know, there you expect Kentucky to get in the race down the stretch and, and have a shot. But for them to overcome already, him already being kind of deep into that process, enough to cut his list down to 10, scholarships had already been flying you know months in advance Kentucky came in late they did make a comeback and it was my understanding that uh Kentucky was the leader there you know early November late late November and even a very small stretch there in early December where that pitch was kind of resonating with VJ where you know Kentucky was pitching like hey you we have a very clear role for you very clear spot for you why not go and and, and fill that you kind of have what you're what we're missing here a, a true athletic slasher three and D type guy who uh, really could have fit in well with, with the other pieces that Kentucky had already signed. And um, it was something that, that was working with, with VJ. And I think at the end of the day, it came down to relationships that the schools that had kind of uh, been there the longest and had, uh, you know, firmly solidified themselves as, a, you know, Hey, we are prioritizing you Kentucky prioritized late, but I think that just wasn't enough to overcome the guys that had been just around just a little bit longer. And then at the end of the day, Baylor was kind of the, the better fit in his eyes. He, he liked the, the, the style of play. He liked the, the guard history and especially in recent memory of who uh, they've been sending to the NBA. And, you know, I, I don't blame him. I, I'm glad he didn't just fall in love with the blue blood. I'm, I'm, going with whatever the best the the best uh, brand name is I, I appreciate that he was able to just kind of separate that and say this is who prioritized me the most this is um you know the better fit for me i'm going to choose this option so you know credit to him for making that decision it was a good one in kentucky's eyes because it meant that they weren't directly competing with with duke kentucky does play duke in the champions classic next season um there are other options this was always one that cal kind of said Let's just give it a shot. Let's make let let's see if we can make this happen. They got very close, and now they can move to options B, C, D, and there, there's really good talent out there where the, the the gap isn't so significant that you know they're heartbroken right now. You can take a Carter Knox right now and be very very impressed with uh, you know his growth at OTE and just kind of continuing that pipeline there in, in Atlanta. So uh, sucks. Wish Kentucky could have closed the deal on that, but. Uh, it wasn't something that, uh, you know, is going to just be a backbreaker for this program. And I believe we finally get Sean on. Sean, good evening. What's up, buddy? <laughs> good to be home. Glad I glad I made it. Thanks for, uh, did you tell uh, what happened to you yesterday morning? Is that yeah. how you started this? Crap show. It was just r- ridiculous from start to finish. And I'm very glad that I'm here right now instead of dealing with whatever, you know, like the weather and snow and ice and cold and all that. And I was just watching the Dallas game. I don't know if there was going to be a, a you know, anarchy in, in Dallas because that was my connection back as well. I don't know what that would have looked like trying to get home today. So I'm, I'm just glad that I am out of the Texas realm and I can be here in, in home. I, I need to be home right now. Well, that's actually what just started on my last 15 minutes home is it's snowing. So it, it's really cold, too. So the roads are already started, starting to kind of to get iced over. So if you're if you're out tonight, make sure you're you're careful and and cautious, but uh, not sure what all you've got into yet, but wherever you want to take this thing, let's just, let's roll with it. So v, uh, VJ Edgecombe just committed to Baylor. I talked about just kind of the significance of that, why 
him not going to Duke is probably the bigger storyline here because Kentucky did come in late. It did feel, especially in the, that last week, that it wasn't going to be Kentucky. It was going to be 1A, 1B, Baylor, Duke. And if you're going to choose between one of those two, you got to like that Baylor got him instead of Duke. So um, thank you, Scott Drew. Shout out to you. That was a very, very good uh, upset victory for for you. And I, you just kind of started it with uh, a little opportunities were there for Kentucky. Texas A&M was the desperate team going in. What it meant for them to win that game versus what it meant for Kentucky to win that game. It was a must win for Texas A&M. It was not a must win for Kentucky. And you kind of felt that at various points, but especially there in that overtime period. Um, and that was kind of the fur- furthest I got before VJ committed. But uh, yeah, game was there for the taking. You wish that it unfolded differently, but um, not a backbreaking loss in my opinion, Sean. It's not, and and we talked about it all last week, and we got into the AP poll and where Kentucky would be and stuff, and getting a little ahead of ourselves because we we knew that that was going to be a difficult game in College Station, and as you mentioned it, you know, a, a desperate team. When you're zero and two in the league, and, and you're sitting there, you can't you can't fall to zero and three in the SEC and and try to kind of start making up ground. And you saw Tennessee play desperate in the final minutes of their game yesterday against Georgia down the stretch. Like you, you put yourself in situations, but at some point, and, and I think it will happen with this team as they, they go through the, the bumps and the grinds of a long season here. And they pulled out a close win at Florida a week ago in the road, a game that they could have lost. They just weren't able to make those same plays and get those same stops down the stretch yesterday, but they'll get a mindset at some point, Jack, that every game is a must win, even though it's truly not like we know that just, if you get into that NCAA tournament field, you throw seating out the window Anybody can go on a run and win the, and win a national championship or get to a Final Four. But the mentality, I thought Kentucky wasn't tough enough yesterday. I thought Texas A&M was the tougher team. I know you and I have talked about the offense and the not too concerned or we're concerned about defense, but we still thought the offense could outscore teams. They scored 92 and lost in OT. It was some of the rebounds. It was some of the not being able to come up with a defensive stop, and a lot of it was positioning on the glass and defensively that caused Kentucky some trouble yesterday, they missed Adu Thiero big time. Adu is a guy that would have played with some toughness that Kentucky just didn't have yesterday on the interior. Yeah, it it, it did kind of have that feel. And, and I, I appreciate that Kentucky, even considering those, you know, the stats were what they were. We knew that Texas A&M was going to rebound hard, that that they had those dudes, especially on the offensive end, to be a nightmare for Kentucky, especially considering kind of the iffiness that we had seen out of Aaron Bradshaw in that area. Uganan Yenso turns around late in that game and kind of becomes a force um, on both ends. I mean, somebody that really played his best game as a Wildcat, but early on, I'll be honest, I thought that was a game that Ugo couldn't even play in. I mean, there were some, I mean, bobbling balls, bad positioning, as you said, and that still showed up, but he still kind of put things together late to to earn his right onto the floor, but still a very, very clear work in progress in, in that front. And, it, and yeah, it just feel, felt like, okay, Justin Edwards, we need you, buddy. He puts things together and, and has an, a, a pretty solid game but just doesn't take you to that next level. Eight and four uh, hits a couple threes and, and you know gets two offensive rebounds. You like that, but 
they were missing that physicality. They were missing missing the athleticism and the the initiator, the the guy that is going to go dunk it on your head. That that Aduth hero who will pin it on the backboard on one end and then go throw down a lob or you know draw a foul, get an in one. Like that was that that oomph was what Kentucky was missing, and we kind of knew that. We called it. We we felt it going into that matchup. That man, who could you say on the roster right now is that in the, that that enforcer? Name one guy. I mean, Trey Mitchell, probably the closest from a he'll at least go in there and bang and get you some tough rebounds. But the, you can't really, you know, DJ Wagner, probably the closest that you're going to get just because of the mindset. It's not even him physically. It's just kind of the mindset he plays with that. that that's kind of what he does well. I, just the, you were missing that and you knew that was going to be the best punch. Texas A&M could throw at you and they just it felt like from start to finish they just didn't have that counter and that was clearly a, a Duthira. It was I mean when you don't have one of your toughest guys if not the toughest guy on your roster and you're going into that environment you're you're kind of a you know, obviously you're a man down but even more significant that that was an Aduthiero game that that would have been one where I think that his presence would have made a difference and you know you mentioned Ugo and some things, and I, you know, I went back and, and rewatched the game and stuff today, like I always do. And you know, I was sending you all in the group text just some plays and some mistakes that not just Ugo made, but everybody made. And like I can nitpick something wrong about every single player that they did, especially defensively. And a lot of Kentucky's issues on the glass, Jack, is they just don't—they're not winning battles initiating contact. Like Reed on the on the final possession of regulation that Kentucky was defending. He is in. He is on the high side and never gets position. And A and M gets uh, gets a basket there or gets gets a play. I think I think it was a tip in. He watches uh, him. Yeah, yeah. Just watches him. Uh, there were two or three that Ugo had to where out of ball screens where he was coming downhill and just never got the, the the guy running to the rim again. And but that was everybody. Even early on, Kentucky and Texas A and M set the tone at the free throw line with their presence on the offensive glass. Now the numbers, when you look at them overall, they they evened out like Kentucky did some damage on the offensive glass second chance points but I thought the impact of what A&M did early just kind of set the tone and gave them some confidence and that's the last thing that you needed to happen was them gain confidence you wanted to break their confidence but Justin Edwards got a lane violation early in the game because his mind was thinking about I'm about to get my tail whipped here to give up an offensive rebound he was trying to get a head start that was what I was what I'm talking about with the way they set the tone and some of the tip outs and things there, there was a massive play there with Kentucky up six or seven in the, in the second half that ended up getting a tip out in a three. And then what can, what ensued from that was Kentucky. Well, give credit to buzz. He switched up his defense and went zone a couple of trips and it threw Kentucky off rhythm. A&M got themselves back in the game there. And then I thought that was a huge momentum swing and in, in where the game was that Kentucky could have put them away a little bit, but they weren't able to do anything with that stretch and that lead. Yeah, it was that twelve minute mark that that Kentucky was up seven, and that was the um, most Kentucky would leave lead for the rest of the game. That three was kind of the momentum dagger, if you will. Uh, it's it sucks. Um, Cal talked about the defense. Um, said you know we're in the top fifty uh, in in overall defensive efficiency. This is not a bad defensive team but said that a lot of their issues just came as a result of grown man strength, physicality, initiation on the opposition 
that it wasn't really a schematic thing or a fundamental thing, but it was just kind of a, a mindset thing. Do you agree with that? Um, because on the flip, like it, it does feel like that's something that you can overcome if it is just a mindset thing, but he kind of said, well, you know, that's kind of what young teams do when you're facing a team of 23, 24-year-olds where they do have the size advantage and the physicality advantage, that grown man strength, you know, that kind of stuff happens. Well, Kentucky's going to be playing those teams in the NCAA tournament, so you got to figure out at some point, I mean, you there is at least an avenue there, but what it, what does that look like, Sean? For, you know, put your coach's hat on. What does that look like if that is – all it boils down to, and maybe you just disagree entirely after watching the film. So when, when I watch the tape with Kentucky, especially defensively, and I'm, I'm looking at them, do I think that this team has elite defensive potential in it? I don't. Not not elite. Are they significantly better than what we saw and what we have been seeing? Yes, there is. They're, 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 that, they're a lot better than what we're seeing because a lot of the things, Jack, are just positional. Like, if you're a step or two off where you're supposed to be, you're going to give up straight line drives. There was a lot of things going on with Kentucky's ball screen coverage yesterday that I could just not figure out. Like it was, it was different every single possession and it wasn't just Ugo. It was Trey Mitchell. It was whoever it was. You saw, I think a lot of it too is guys not talking, especially in these road environments, you've got to talk even louder. And I think of it's just some communicational things, but Kentucky gave up straight line drive after straight line drive after straight line drive to Texas A&M and to their guards. And you can pull up clips in those middle ball screens when they were flat ball screens, it didn't matter what they were. The big was on the wrong side so many times. And there was just so much so much miscommunication with where Kentucky wanted to be. There was one play where Ugo came out way too far and it ended up being Bradshaw's second foul right there driving to the basket. Like it was just their ball screen coverage was terrible for the entire game. And then you compound that with not being able to rebound and not winning position there, and you have a recipe for disaster, and that's how you lose scoring 92 points, and you lose by five, is because you put those two things together, and you get an AM team that made shots. They hit threes at a higher clip than they have all season. They got to the free throw line and made, what, 19 free throws, I think, 20 yep. free throws, somewhere through there. So they, 19 they, also, 30. they also, I mean, they missed some free throws there, but they still shot a high number of attempts. Do I think that Kentucky is going to be a top 15 team in the country in Kim Palm defense efficiency? I don't think so. Can they be significantly better than what they were yesterday and be good enough to to win games in the NCAA tournament? Absolutely. Some somebody also brought up the the goaltending thing where Ugo gets the offensive rebound. I hate that. Like I hate it's, it's, because you just took a possession away from Kentucky because. I get it. You thought it was goaltending, but you should review that in that moment and then give Kentucky possession of the basketball on baseline underneath. If they especially, got when it's a, especially when it's a clear recovery. Like it, it is a clear one-two punch, bang-bang play where it is blocked off the backboard and lands directly in Ugo's pocket. Like what would have what would it it have hurt to have Pat Adams go to the monitor right there and say, oh, hey, this is a pretty crucial decision here. Let's just go ahead and get this right right now. What good does it do to wait till that that un- that under four media timeout? Like what like there there is no benef- benefit to it unless it was a I don't even know what scenario you could dream of for that to be acceptable. It's just so uh, egregious where it does, ca- you know, that that 
on paper is supposed to benefit a, a goaltend is supposed to benefit Kentucky. And by making that call, it just it, it's the exact polar opposite. You you now hurt Kentucky. Like at least find the middle ground there. Okay, well, if we're not gonna find that play, at least jump ball. Like give me give me a jump ball. Give me some something to uh, just waiting till the four under four timeout to just just review it and just say, uh, yep, we got that one wrong. Because what's stopping them from doing that for every single play? Every you know, monitoring every single detail of the game and then just uh, half-ass moving the score to whatever they want at the end of games. Like what? Why are we stopping at that? It's just it's just nonsense. I I, I really it really frustrated me in the moment. And then as we watched, kind of the clock tick and tick and tick, and we got to the very end, and we got to the end of the regulation, and you know where those two points would have been very significant. I mean, they probably could have been the, the deciding factor. Just, and that's, just really sucks. And that's the thing too. Like I get that you don't want to stop play and add on to how long these games are. You're trying to shorten those things. I mean, we've seen the rule changes and stuff with college football, trying to get shorter games. But at the same time, like going and, and looking at that during an intermission or during a media timeout, you still not only took two points off Kentucky – you also took the offensive rebound chance that they had there that Ugo was going to stick back in. And then that's a possession that Kentucky does not get back, and there was nothing Kentucky did to lose that possession. That's just a that's just a possession that's just not showing up anywhere now. It's just empty. Like, I mean, that's that's the thing. Like it, it's frustrating, but when you got that, and, and it's all and it's not just one thing, it's it's a combination of a lot of things like that throughout that game where I felt like Kentucky gave them things. You got that. You got a lane violation that gives them a free throw in the first half. I know it's just one play, but that one point made a significant difference in the game. You got Antonio Reeves. I haven't still don't know why he threw the pass to Trey Mitchell that got picked off for for a basket. Like that's that's stuff that we haven't seen from this team is like a live ball turnover like that that just gives somebody two points. All the straight line drops. Like those things add up. Kentucky still had opportunities, still could have come away with the win. You had some moments that stand out. You had you had Rob hitting shots to close. You had Reed going to the free throw line and hitting two massive free throws. They're still good within it, but it's another learning experience. And this team was going and is going to lose games in this league, Jack. That's just part of it. And I think that is why I feel so good about. I mean, God, not good. It, it sucked. It, it was. That was a game Kentucky could have won, and it really sucked that they weren't able in those final little nitpicky moments, the little details there at the end where it's just like, dang, it just felt so close. But I don't think you learn much of anything from blowout wins or blowout losses. In a game like this, it kind of had to finish that way to really learn the most from this group because there is so much on film, as you clearly watched, to go back and look and go, God, what was I thinking there? What, what, what was I? What, what were we doing here? Why this? What kind of shot was that? Your the decision to pass with ten seconds left. Like what? You learned the most, and I know it's coach speak and coach Calism one hundred and one for the what you either win or you learn. But it did really feel like a win or learn game for Kentucky. I don't feel any different about this team long-term today than I did Friday. Like, I knew that this they were not going to run the table the rest of the way. They were going to lose games, and if they were going to lose games, this is how they were going to lose them. I mean, it is – it is if if 
you were on paper drawing up a, okay, here is a blueprint to a Kentucky basketball loss in January of 2024. That is how the game would unfold. Like, I mean, there was nothing that happened in that game where you were like, damn, this guy just played very uncharacteristic basketball. Like that was very odd of him. Trey Mitchell, probably the closest in terms of some of the decision-making he had, but outside of that, and he still had it. I mean, eight 13 and six he wasn't bad just didn't make the shots that he usually makes and made some pretty untimely turnovers but you know he's built up a lot of freaking equity with me where i'll live with it because he's also playing 44 minutes at this point just we got to we got to get that sorted out but uh, that was this was the game plan to beat kentucky and it's something that they need to keep in mind moving forward as the games continue to get tough the road trips continue to uh, be very very difficult in a uh, league that is projected to have eight tournament teams right now I mean, it's it's like you said, like if you could script a loss like we we thought it would look like that. And I think to to this date, the only thing that that's happened that I didn't expect to happen was probably, well, obviously the the loss, the quad three loss they had in December. Like that's the one that you look back and like, yeah, that one's a little weird or really weird. Losing a road SEC game early on with the schedule that they have going to Florida, then going to A&M. I don't think that losing one of those would shocks anyone especially the way the AP poll and stuff and the shakeups happening on the road in college basketball right now. I mean, there's a lot of teams losing basketball games. I'm with you. It doesn't change anything about it. Maybe it just may, I will admit it opens my eyes a little bit that they're, they're a little bit further behind defensively than what I thought they were. And maybe I should have paid a little bit more attention to Illinois state's offensive rebounding numbers a few weeks ago and shouldn't have just kind of dismissed it because of how they, they won the glass against North Carolina. I guess I just assumed that that wouldn't show up. But when I turn on the tape and see that it's positioning, it actually gives me confidence that it's going to be okay. That it's not just, I'm not looking at this without being able to see it. Like I'm able to look at this and say, okay, like all of these things, when they turn on the tape this weekend and then they look, they're going to, these coaching staff and all these guys are going to be like, man, this is all stuff that we can fix. But now it's just about breaking habits. And these guys in high school, Jack, and a lot of other things, they've had the athleticism probably at times to just go get a ball. Right now, A&M was winning the battle physically, hitting Kentucky before Kentucky was making contact. Whoever initiates contact first on the glass, guess who's going to win it? The guy that gets position and establish it. There was one play, I think it was – it might have been Justin gave up a straight line drive. I sent it to the group yep, today. It was Justin. And then just lost the battle too on the glass. And that was two right there. Ugo did the same thing. Reed Shepard did the same thing. Every, I can go down the list. Every guy. And, and point out one, every one individual play on the glass or something like that about every single guy that played. And it was all positioning. The one thing that did confuse me though, was the ball screen coverage. And if, if we could put up some graphics of just still pictures, I could show what I'm talking about. But like, AM wasn't really doing anything to get some of the easy straight line drives that they got. They did go some side Spain action that confused Kentucky there a couple of times, which I always I think that's a really neat thing to see college coaches do. You see a lot of teams do it in the middle third of the floor. They did it on the side of the floor and got a three there in the second half. So AM did some good stuff. And that was a team that's a really well coached team. Like they have they have the mindset and the attitude of their head coach, and they played like it Saturday. Like they played tough. And Kentucky just wasn't tough enough. That's the one area Kentucky has to get better at is some toughness, the ability to make the tough plays. But they were without the one guy that I think is the toughest on the team. 
and that's Adu. In Adu's case is weird, man, and and we'll. It, it, it's frustrating because I think it's kind of a, I think it's multiple things that are, it's kind of uh, an issue with, with a do. And I think initially the thought was it was just something limited to back spasms and, you know, it was something you just kind of, cause he was, he was having back spasms even before his fall uh, against Louisville in the Yum Center. Like, he was already dealing with that several weeks back before that. And it's always something that's kind of been a, he's something he's dealt with, but it was kind of apparent there in, you know, early December and he kind of played through it and everything was fine. He was actually as bouncy as he's ever been feeling as confident and, you know, physically well as, as possible, just, you know, something he was, he, he had to overcome. Um, and then the, the fall happens. And I think they initially thought that it was just kind of a, you know, that flaring back up. But I think as time has kind of crept forward and it, it hasn't just disappeared in the way they expected. And it was kind of more of a tweak than a, than anything. And I, I was told, I think Illinois state game to that. It would probably be a couple of weeks, but it wasn't a long-term issue. It was just something that say he was clearly discomfort. You know, there was discomfort there. He had to figure that out and it just hasn't kind of gotten to that next next step. And I think that's why Cal said um, after this last game that he still had some tests to, to do. I think, or maybe maybe it was before the game that he had tests to run before he could get you know fully cleared and start taking the next step to, steps toward returning. So uh, I I think we should hit pause on a do for a minute. Like I think that as tough as that is because he is kind of that enforcer, the guy that we need right now in conference play. Uh, but like, I'm not expecting him Wednesday. I'm not. And I still think even Georgia might be pushing it. I think we, you know, we could probably start at that point saying, all right, let's, let's start anticipating a return here shortly. But I'd give it another week. I would like. I still think we're gonna. We're, it's gonna be a minute, and um, it's something that they're trying to figure out behind the scenes. Um, I, I think that the tweak was just a little bit more than anybody around there. It would it had 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 any any idea. How do you combat that, Sean? That's my question. If if just assuming we don't have a do for a minute, what does that look like? Because I think the the blueprint and game plan right now is there for the taking about how to kind of attack Kentucky without him. It is. And you're, you're attacking Kentucky, Kentucky where they're weakest. It's the toughness, something, somebody has to emerge and some toughness has to be to kind of come into play here, like a willingness to rebound. I mean, it's, it's not like there's a ton of technique. It's, it's legit just positioning. It's having a will to do it and, and fight and and be the the aggressor there like it's the same thing like with defensive stuff like you have to be disciplined in who you are and position and i want to see kentucky make these adjustments like this is a big game coming up here wednesday night like this is a mississippi state team that is just loaded its sec schedule on the front end with quad one games i mean they've played quad one after quad one to start league play i think this is a stretch coming up of like six straight if I'm not mistaken, or maybe even more like, so they're, they're going to be a team that's battle tested and, and already got one against Tennessee uh, last week. So Trey Mitchell had to play 44 minutes again yesterday. I know a lot of that too is, is Noah do Bradshaw just could not stay on the floor. 
the other side of this, Jack, is I don't think I ever thought at any point that Ugo would have to play the number of minutes that he played yesterday. I never – and that's not the ideal thing for Ugo. I really don't think it is. I think 10, 15 minutes tops would be the perfect stretch run for him, around 15 minutes. Now, he did do some good things, and that's why I'm not going to nitpick the bad because, like, this is a guy that I still think is working his way back into it, and he did show some fight at times. And I was pleased with where he is, and it's kind of opened my eyes a little bit that he can help in, in certain situations. But 34 minutes is not ideal for what we're wanting there at, at that spot. So AB's got to be able to stay on the floor. I know the first foul, I don't know if you agreed with it as much or not. There wasn't a lot there. And then the second one, obviously, it was um, – I can't remember not, I can't remember who it was that it wasn't – somebody was in the wrong spot and ended up allowing him to, to get a foul and end up giving us another one of those straight line drives. Like, it's just you have to be able to guard the basketball and contain it. But overall, find some toughness. John Calipari will get toughness out of these guys at some point, collectively. Like, you have mentally tough guys, but you got to have some physically tough guys there as well. And it doesn't come down to just size, Jack. A lot of it comes down to wanting to – to do some of the dirty work and the dude does the dirty work and with him out, somebody else has to show up and do it. So where's it going to come from? It has to be, to me, it has to be a collective thing that Kentucky just has to have a mindset here that they, they want to be tough and they want to not get killed on the glass. Like I said, A&M dictated it early and set the tone. Kentucky has to do that early in these games as well. And there's no reason why he can't be Justin. Like, I know he isn't isn't the physical presence, but he's got the the clearly the athleticism. He's clearly got the length. And I I mean, he's got a nose for the ball, but there is no excuse for Antonio Reeves to finish with six rebounds and Justin only have four. There's no reason, no excuse for that whatsoever. Justin kind of, if, if a do is going to be out for another week plus Justin Edwards has to break through. Like there's, there is no other option. The, the opportunities are going to continue to be there for Justin. And, and he's so close, Sean, like we keep talking about him on this show and, and keeps kind of saying, Oh, his time's coming. His time is coming. And he hit the, he hit those two threes in this game. And I'm like, and he got a couple quick rebounds too. And I remember going, this might be it. Like it, it felt right there. And then disappearing act. It's just we cannot have him be a non-factor on the floor. I mean, overtime box score. I mean, Gusak, he he wasn't there. And I think down the stretch. Uh, I mean, I I just, I just don't know what it is. I I don't I don't know what it's going to take for Justin to break through. But he has no choice. If a do is going to be out, it's all it was, has always kind of been who is going to emerge out of those two playing the similar position, similar types of players. Obviously, a do has the you know the 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 size factor, but you know I think Justin has the on paper the skill advantage. I mean, he's more he he has at least that. He's not just a bull in a china shop like a do kind of feels at times. Like Justin has some finesse to him. It's just that we we got to break through at some point. It, it we we just it has to happen. There's no there's no other option except for him to break through. Um, 
I mean, there's no excuse for Antonio to have six rebounds and four for Justin. I mean, that there's just that that can't happen. So I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I I hope that it's Justin. I I, I hope that it is. Yeah, I hope so too. And and another thing too that that kind of was missing yesterday was the transition game. And when you can't grab defensive rebounds, you're not getting transition opportunities. Like that was the other that was the other key to me going into the game was Kentucky had to win the glass on the defensive end. And when you do that, the way AM goes to the glass aggressively, if you just secure a rebound, you're gonna have some you would have some opportunities in transition. And Kentucky just could not corral rebounds enough to get out and run. The times that they did, they got some baskets and things. But overall, it is a still an early January loss to a team that was desperate. It's a quad one road loss that I don't think will be anywhere near a quad two. And I I think overall, I think Kentucky will be fine. Now, am I concerned about the defense? Yeah. Trending that way for sure. And the reason being is because this isn't just a trend that this year, this is a trend that's been four years now. Like this is a Kentucky program that has not finished above 35 in defensive efficiency since 2018 was the last time that they finished there. And I think they were eighth that year, 2018, 19, the PJ Washington year. You had the Emmanuel quickly team that I think got to 35. And then obviously the, the BJ Boston team, I think was, I'm not sure where it was lower too, but I'm talking like 35, 36, 54. Like this hasn't been an elite defensive team. The offensive numbers are elite. This has to get into that top 30, I think. I really think that they've got to find a way to settle between 20 and 30. I don't I don't need them to get the 10. I don't need them to get the 14 to 15. And then when it comes down to it, Jack, like you just got to be that for six in a row. You don't have to be it for the overall course of the season. You just have to do it for six straight. And I want to see flashes and glimpses of it between now and the end of the season where Kentucky can put good defensive nights together. Because you got to win six games in a row. Is that the longest winning streak of the season for them? A six? Have they? Was that what they just had? I think they. Uh, right, they had one earlier in the year that was a little longer before UNC. I think it was fours. I, I think we. Yeah, six, six. Yeah, six, six straight. Okay, so they did two, two, four, two, four, six. Let's okay. give us eight. Let's go. Let's go another well, eight. Without, that's without what I want to. So what I want to see here in league play, and I said this last year, and I don't think Kentucky ever got to this point, was I wanted to see them win six straight in the league. Six just tough games at some point down the stretch here. I want to see it. I want to see them put six performances together. And and you you know what I want to see though, a combination of winning games in different ways. Mm-hmm. Like, because that's what you get in the NCAA tournament. There's there's no, like, these teams that go on NCAA tournament runs, every game is different. Every matchup is different. You've got to be able to win games in different ways. We've seen this Kentucky team, you know, like, score at a fast pace. I want to see one where they just lock somebody up and get, and get stops and, and win games. And I want to see it all kind of come together. There's still plenty to play. I mean, we're still talking two months before this team has to be what it what it wants to be. Like there's a lot of growth and the ceiling is still way up here. Like ultimately they're going to be fine. Like this loss does not change how I feel about what they can do. It opens my eyes a little bit more to some issues defensively that I thought the ball screen positioning and coverage was the worst I had seen it. 
that has to get fixed, and that'll be something to pay attention to Wednesday night because these coaches watch tape, and they're going to try to attack Kentucky in similar ways. Mississippi State's a tough team. I mean, that's yeah, they are. That's a group. What we, I mean, we said earlier to open SEC play. What did we say? We 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 named off some teams that are kind of like, oh, we're keeping a close eye on them. And Mississippi State was the one that I kind of had circled the way they play without Tolu Smith and the you know him ramping back up in conference play. I mean, that's that's a tough, hard nosed team as well. That again, what we if if you were to draw up a game plan to beat Kentucky everything was out there uh, in college station I mean that was that was the thing and it, it sucked because we kind of named every little detail I mean down to Wade Taylor I, I mean the only he, he was one of two players in high major basketball with with two games of 30 30, 30 plus uh, points uh, against ranked opponents him and uh, a kid from Villanova those those were the only two players in college basketball that had done that and he had come into this game shooting like 25 percent in his last two games it was kind of one of those he was due what are we going to do to figure that out and he comes out and immediately starts firing gets a couple tough shots early kind of gets that rhythm and momentum going the rebounding the straight line drives how they attack you offensively the switching defensively the zone ran it like everything that we kind of we they didn't show us anything like oh shoot that didn't show up on tape like it was the exact game plan we kind of knew going in and they still kind of beat us in the in their the ways that they they wanted to so that would that's what kind of concerned me Mississippi State's going to be very similar like I'm 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 this one is one that we should not be overlooking in the slightest because that could be one that like Kentucky could lose this game they very is especially if a do remains out that's a game that Kentucky could lose. And I, li- I, like you, want to see them stack together six games. And, I mean, Mississippi State, tough Georgia team. We just saw what they did against Tennessee. At South Carolina, that's a tough one. Arkansas, talking about desperate. I mean, if we just said Texas A&M was desperate, look at what Arkansas is because that team is fighting for its life right now. Uh, and then Florida, we know what they are. And then Tennessee would be the last one of that six. That's a stretch right there, and and that would prove to me is what we talked about. If if they can stack together these six, all right, let's ride. Like I, I'll I'll feel a lot better. But now you know this wasn't a must win. But now that you've lost this one, you got to start stacking some performances together to kind of build back that that trust. I think. Yeah, yeah, you have to. And uh, Mississippi State coming in. Uh, 28th overall in Ken Palm, 70th in adjusted offense, and ninth in adjusted defense. So like a, a good defensive team that that's going to try to dictate their pace and dictate their game and and do some things. And you know after watching that tape, they're going to get physical with Kentucky. And John Calipari's got to turn on the tape here with these guys and and a lot of a lot of film session too. I think with Kentucky's guys over the next few days, probably already had some of that. You know today, if I'm guessing. Uh, of showing guys that a lot of it was you cannot just run to the rim in this league. Nope. You can't just run to the rim in Division One college basketball at all. Like, you can't out-jump people. You have to initiate contact first. Who wins first and who initiates contact will come up with a rebound. And if you got four doing it, and like a lot of times you saw Kentucky there and in position or somebody could get it, but one guy would miss. And that's the guy that wouldn't come up with the rebound initially, like securing it, but would get a hand on it to keep it alive. And then somebody else would get it. 
And like I said, it was established at the free throw line. Go back and watch A&M's first two or three trips to the free throw line and watch the will to go to the glass that they had. And then go watch the lane violation that Justin got. That's why he did it. Because they had already established a mindset. And when you got that on your mind, that's that's tough. Because you're think you're already thinking about, man, I cannot give up an offensive rebound right here. I cannot give up an offensive rebound. And guess what happens then? Then you have a miscommunication in ball screen. Yep. Or you're miscommunicating somewhere else because you're not really confident in what you're doing. A lot of it is communication. Go and watch. There was one where Rob and Reed had a miscommunication too. There was another one early where DJ Wagner gets – there was a pin down and they gave up a three with, with Aaron Bradshaw's man. It's just not communicating. A lot of it's not talking. And I'm sure that that's a topic of conversation going into the week as well. So a lot of what I'm trying to say is a lot of Kentucky stuff is fixable. It's not like that. It's not like be in better position, communicate better and have a will on the glass. Do those three things. And I think the numbers go up and you become a better defensive team without having to block nine, 10 shots a game. You can get better by just being fundamentally sound, having a hand up. How many threes did they hit where sure, they're two or three feet behind the three-point line, but guess what? This is Division One college basketball. That's a good shot for a lot of people. you got to have a hand up. Like a lot of stuff was just bad habits and not playing fundamental basketball on the defensive end of the floor. That's fixable. Yeah, I completely – and all things considered, as ugly and wish we could have had it moments in that one, we were an inch away from – Rob Dillingham shutting it all up anyway and winning the game at the end of regulation. Like that's kind of what this team is. And that's why I don't think that we should just completely throw our hands up in the air and say, Oh, woe is me. This team stinks. We, they are, we are who we thought they were like we, we, there's no reason for that because all things considered, as we said, they played right to the game plan. They drew up the perfect opportunity to beat us and Rob shot falls at the end of regulation and we win that game and I loved loved the quote Sean loved the quote Rob saying I thought the shot was going in because we all did I mean when it when it rimmed out I was like I mean I don't think you could get any closer like that shot was in he thought it was in as well and he said I think the only reason I missed that shot is because I'm going to make it in March. And that's all I ask. It, Rob is the type of guy to have a moment, you know, like the Aaron Harrison's, the Malik monks against UNC, the, the those Brandon Knights, those guys are wired differently. They are wired to have moments. Rob Dillingham he kind of had his own little mini moment against Kansas where he's kind of like, Oh, he is legit. Like this is the guy that we kind of dreamed of. He kind of almost had his own mini one hitting three straight in college station. And had he made that shot, that would have been his, his moment, but he didn't get it, which means that, okay, if it's not coming in this one, when is it going to come? And for him to already in his head be thinking, I wish I did. I, I, I felt it. I, I, I thought it was coming, but I'd rather have it in March. That's the mentality you want this, this group to have. They're thinking of the winning plays. They're thinking of 
he made some dumb decisions late. I still do not, for the life of me, understand why he, a they even started initiating the offense as early as they did when it's a game winning attempt. I that part confused me. I I I don't know the mindset behind passing it to DJ. Where I think in even DJ's mind, he thought Robbage has just made three straight. Why on earth is he going to give 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 up the rock? Like, there's no reason for me to even touch the ball. So when Rob did kind of make the quick swing, DJ should have caught it. Yes, obviously, but I I get it. Like, I understood where it could have been. Like, oh shoot, I wasn't even mentally engaged enough for. Like, I wasn't thinking that it was going to come to me. Little things like that. I appreciate that he's already thinking of what's next. Thinking, all right, live and you learn. I I wish I had save the day and won that game. But if I wasn't going to have my moment here, let's focus on my next moment of, of, of when that's going to come in a do or die game backs against the wall in March. That's, that's the, a winning attitude and, and response that you want to see from a guy, a, a guy like Rob Dillingham. It is. And, and each game presents learning moments and opportunities. And I feel like this will be one of those that Kentucky looks back on that they learn from and learned in late game situations and things. And I love, like you said, I loved Rob's quote. And I trust Rob to make the shot when it comes down to it in March. Like he's he's definitely fearless and not afraid to take them. And you want those guys on your team. You know, for the most part, and you know, I thought DJ did some good things yeah. yesterday. He's stacking uh, performances. Reeves hit some some early threes that that really kept pace, you know, kept them out of pace with AM because AM come out and hit some early shots and they needed those three early threes from Antonio. So Kentucky's still figuring some things out. I think Cal is still figuring out minutes and where he wants to go with this rotation. Where does Justin play into this? Where does a do play into this when they eventually do get him back? What happens here with Bradshaw? Like that's the guy that I'm looking at Wednesday night that needs to come out and play well. Like that's the guy that I want to see. Uh here's one of the images I was talking about. So, you know, shots about to go up. I think that this was the play that Justin Edwards got beat off the bounce, and then Kentucky had to do an X out on the off the the pass out. But look at the positioning, Jack. I mean, Edwards isn't winning that. And no, what that not resulted, even close. No, what that resulted in is, is Trey takes the guy at the elbow, and Justin never gets in front. You know, Rob never gets there, and it results in a tipped-out offensive rebound you know, for, for Texas A&M. So just, just things like that. And it's like Justin went, I don't know if I have the next still frame, but Justin like goes, but then sees he's not going to win it and then kind of just gives it up. And then the next thing you know, they get a hand on it. And it's another offensive rebound, another opportunity for A&M to get points. So stuff like that is what I'm talking about when it comes to positioning. Because Reed, Reed did force a closeout in a readjustment on a shot attempt. So just just things like that. Like you gotta build it, you gotta fight, and you gotta win it. Rebounding is winning it before the ball ever hits the rim. You gotta win that battle before the ball ever comes off the rim. Who wins that battle gets the rebound probably nine out of ten times, unless it's just a long bounce. And how awesome was Reed smiling, stepping up to the line and drilling those threes in the regulation? Like that was a moment when he hit those two. I said in my head, we're winning this game. Like that was that was the ultimate bone crusher down in College Station. Them thinking, oh, well, we got the you know we got this one in the bag. We got this one locked up. And he goes to the line and hits those two 
with 0.4 seconds left on the clock, that had to have been just a balloon full of air just getting flapping around in the wind. Like there's no way that that fan base thought in that individual moment that that was going to lead to what happened in overtime. So again, inch or two here or there. I mean, it just every opportunity was there. That 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 sequence where Ugo gets the ridiculous block chance to go out and transition score, I believe to tie it. And I mean, momentum kind of flip in that direction and Trey Mitchell throws that errant pass in transition, turns it the other way, turns into a dunk. I mean, that's a four or five point swing, swing potentially that, you know, little things like the little tiny details. I, I love that moment. Just so cool. 0.6 left on the clock Him stepping up to the line. Um, I, I like this team. I really, really like this team. And I like that we have opportunities like this to look at and go, damn, that sucked. And say, how do we respond? What's next? Because like you, this team is wired differently. They have that kind of, that will to win of a, all right, should have had that one. So many opportunities were there. What can we do next to move on, go to the next page? And as you said, Sean, stack six straight performances like this does kind of have that feel to it of you get that one setback they're going to start throwing haymaker after haymaker after haymaker and, and start learning how to put put stuff together so i i really really like this group's mentality should have had this one could have had this one but i feel no different about them today as i did two days ago and how i'm going to feel about them in a week i mean i i SEC play is tough, man. This is a group of of eight teams, probably potentially nine, that could make make the make the field. I mean, it, it's a, a really good group, and games like this, regardless of what happens the rest of conference play, this game will have Kentucky prepared for March. Don't care what your argument is, this game is a March Madness game. That now they know why they lost, how they lost, and now they can figure out how to make it one step back, two steps forward. Yeah, and like I said, learning opportunities. Kentucky will be fine. Those clips and those things that I've been pulling and showing you, like you best believe Kentucky and their staff is showing, I'm guaranteed the exact same clips. I just sent Daniel another one because I'm not wanting to pick on Justin. So I sent one of uh, Ugo. I don't know if Daniel, I don't know if you'll be able to get up on the screen in time or not, but it was like a sequence where it was another offensive rebound. Like it's just, and it's just, I'm trying to show like, because I'm, I'm a lot of people catch this stuff, but the game is so quick a lot of times that if you don't like go back and watch it and watch it and watch it, you miss some things in the moment that you don't see. So there's, there's actually a still graphic before that too, but Ugo does not have position there at all. So you got one guy, I think that's Trey in the middle of the floor there with somebody. So there's one guy right now that can get an offensive rebound. It's the guy right in front of Ugo. And then the clip before, you know, Ugo wasn't able to, to get position. So it's just, they won position and it doesn't matter that Trey has his guy boxed out. If one guy's off and one guy doesn't have leverage and the ball just so happens to be right there, it was another offensive rebound and another extra opportunity. For There it is. So there's the start of it. So there's where the shot goes up. And then you saw where the second still image was of where Ugo was. So you got to be able to have some toughness and some physicality about you to get position. Because if one doesn't have it, Jack, that's just an opportunity for for an extra offensive chance for Texas A&M, and they got another one on that possession. 
Huh, little things. If we are seeing it on film and on our little show, uh, I, I, I think they have it up at, in the Joe Craft Center practice film room up on the, the projector screen in 4K with big red circles around each one of these little segments going, buddy, come on, man. Like, look, it, we, we, can't, we can't draw this up for you any better. I mean, it's right there. Throw a body on somebody get yourself in position like i mean it's it's that there's it, there's the whole it. sequence scroll through them daniel all through it so put up the first one and you can see i think it's reed that closes out so there's the shot attempt and look at where ugo's at positioning wise and then you go to the second clip or the second still image and there's where we're at and then the third one his man's got the rebound like it's it's not crazy you just you look at it and you have to win the battle of position. And if you do that, more often than not, you're going to come away with the rebound. And Texas A&M was tougher than Kentucky at doing that. Yep, is what it is. Uh, we're starting to wrap up here. But before we do that, a quick message from our latest partner, Monticello Bank. Well, hello, Cindy. A lot of banks are changing hands these days. Not Monticello. We've been building relationships since 1895. And with each passing year, we've grown. Hello, Cindy. Hi. And expanded our services to meet the needs of the communities we serve. Aren't you forgetting something? Monticello Bank. Equal housing lender member FDIC. While we're at it, sources say is also brought to you by Andy Ludicky and MyPerfectFranchise.net. Andy is a franchise consultant as well as franchise owner and helps people find franchises that fit their skill sets, financial requirements, time to commit, and more. His services are 100% free, and he is here to help. If you have any questions about business ownership, you can learn more and contact Andy anytime at www.MyPerfectFranchise.net. Sean Smith, this was um, this was good. Nice little therapy session. Nice little chance for me to talk about how ridiculous my non-trip to College Station was. I still can't believe that that was yesterday. It feels like four days ago. Like just twenty-four. I guess like forty-eight hours of hell. I guess you could say. But um, good learning experience for all of us. Learn, learn to when when a plane completely shuts off and the lights turn out. And the flight attendants look at each other like something is very not right here. Let's pretend like we're not scared. Um, that's your cue to get the hell off the plane like I did. Um, and learning experience for for Kentucky down at College Station to uh, throw a body on somebody. Let's get that positioning right. Absolutely. I'm glad that you didn't have to experience a, a too crazy of a day. And I'm glad that you're home safely tonight. And you were able to sleep in your own bed last night after after a loss. But if they could have pulled that thing out, you probably would have been sick that you weren't there to. to oh, I already had a tweet. Out. I already had a tweet that said, "I'll never forgive you at American Airlines." Like I already, I already had that in my head, thinking that man, if if that Rob shot fell, I would have blown a gasket. Like I even thought. I mean, I would have loved to have been there. Like I mean, for sure, it, it was a, a great game, classic just finished in the way that we didn't hope for. It was a classic for the other team. But yeah, I, I in my head, I thought, man, I, I will never forgive American Airlines for this. And I want to know somebody that you will freely admit you're not a, a, 
an airplane guy? Like they're just not. What would have been your reaction in that moment? No, like I'm, I, I'm dying to know you. You go forward with your idea. All right, all right, fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna get on a plane. We're gonna get this over with. We're flying. We we're, we got to make this happen. What would have been your reaction in that moment? Pitch black. You've you've been around me before. You know what my reaction would have been. You would have had to pick me up and and take get me, me off this damn plane. <laughs> Like, 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 if anyone door. knows me in like moments like that, it's you. So you'd have probably been having to find a new co-host. You'd have been having no fly list because I don't know if I would have survived for sure. Like, oh man, God, we've uh, we've had some, we've had some situations, but that would have been the one that got me. That'd have been it for me. Who? Well, uh, I'm, I'm glad we're through it. Tough weekend. We'll respond. Big opportunity for Kentucky to respond Wednesday against Mississippi State. We are very excited for that one. We'll see you at Rupp Arena. We will both be there in person, live and in action. So can't wait for that one. Um, yeah, let's, let's make this happen. It's going to be a fun one. We'll be back Thursday night, I believe, for our next source to say. So, Sean, before that, where can fans find your work? You can follow me on Twitter at GBB Country. Find me on Twitter as well at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Go subscribe to KSR Plus. We have an absolute blast over there. All the Intel scoop, conversation, rumors, rumblings, everything comes there first. So uh, if we talk about something on this show, guarantee you it's already uh, you know a day or two removed on on KS Board. So go subscribe. We have a blast talking to the KSR crew, and uh, it's a built building a nice little community over there. So make sure you go on and do that, Sean. Let's get out of here, and we'll see you back on Thursday for another Jam Packed Sources Say podcast. We will see you then. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older in present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as is non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in 
West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. 